Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About The Weather, political discussion that from the outside may just look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and this is Hugh. Football! And we're here to talk about this week's... Football. Subscribe to us on... Football. Follow us at... Football. I hate the football. I hate the football, Adam. <laughs> I hate the football. I'm sick of the coming home bullshit. Oh. I'm sick of people singing that fucking song written but by racists. Have you considered that it is coming home? <laughs> I don't want. To, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't like to be mean about what someone enjoys. Mm. Enjoy your football. That's great. Mm. I hope you have lots of. I'm fun. not doing that. I'm not doing no, that no. seriously. By the it's way, it's fine. I, I know. I know you're not. But you don't have to smash everything up. No. You don't have to cover Walthamstow in broken pint glasses, making it very hard for me to walk the dog. Yeah. And just because you've all said that the English flag isn't racist anymore, doesn't mean that it isn't. (laughs) Like, I'm going to be going to an anti-fascist march on the weekend. Mm. I'm guessing there's going to be a few England flags there. (laughs) Which side do you reckon they're going to be on? I don't know. (laughs) Exactly. But yeah, enjoy your fucking stupid racist sport. No, it's one of those things that like I, I enjoy the fact I, I enjoy having football on terrestrial TV. I like quite enjoy international football. Watching England is such a like mixed lot of feelings because I grew up with football being like practically enforced. Well, yeah, like that's what you do when you go outside and play. Yeah, you go outside and play football. When yeah. you're watching sport, you're watching football. Mm. You, you get indoctrinated into it. So to a certain extent, it's like a weird nostalgic. Thing for me, and I'm like, I'm like a casual observer with football anyway. But yeah. watching England definitely brings back those kind of strange feelings. And like, I don't think, I don't know, I don't think any of the like, like obviously the progressive nationalism stuff associated with it is utter dog shit. And I was so happy at the beginning of the tournament when it seemed like most of the commentariat and most of like people in general had just tempered their expectations and were just. I don't know, being normal about it. And then Paul Mason drew and some then George's sudden, flags on his face. And then suddenly... And by the final, he's going to be dressed as a Crusader Knight. <laughs> it was a great tweet on it. It's like, oh, you know, I watch football and, oh, this team actually seems like they're quite nice. They seem quite skilled. I quite enjoy watching them play. Gareth Southgate seems like a nice guy. And suddenly he's fucking... The, he's St. George reborn. Yeah. And commentators are going on about the Crusades and National Renaissance. Which sounds like the kind of party that's going to be set up in the next 10 years or so <laughs> in our decrease increasingly fascist discourse. Yeah. Yeah. It's but yeah, enjoy the weird. football, England. Yeah. We've been have away. Have fun. Yeah. I hope you have lots of fun. Mm. But it's shit. G1 soon. That's the main sports event of the year. <laughs> so we've been away for a couple of weeks. Yeah, my cat died. Um, yeah, your cat died. But mainly I was Very going sad. around to universities. Yeah. We've had a lot on. It's, and been, it's been too hot. I've, en- I've enjoyed the weather. We're not going to talk about the weather, but I like the weather. Hold on, hold on. What do you think this podcast is? We're going to talk about the weather. <laughs> it's nice. I like the sun. <laughs> I'm a sun guy now. I'm really into the sun. I'm tanned. My hair is really blonde. Um, yeah, the sun's all good. You're the one who complains about the sun. Yeah, because you're you were with English. me not a single year ago. <laughs> but no, no, I love the sun now. The greatest betrayal since Theresa May's betrayal on Brexit. Which is our first topic today. Well done. That was nice. Um, So fuck. There was as we're recording. As we're recording, I don't even know. Lots of people have quit. We've had twenty-four. I started writing the notes for this episode because we were going to do a brief little bit on uh, Theresa May's um, showdown meeting with her own cabinet. 
on Brexit, the deal that she was going to put towards the EU. Um, they had a big meeting at Chequers. She took their the phones weekend. and threatened them that if any of them like tried to quit while they were there, they'd have their car taken away. And <laughs> so then Jeremy Corbyn had a good line about it. And they yeah. couldn't get home because of Tory cut to buses. <laughs> so she was there, um, according to a senior, a senior government official, uh, he said they had nothing else to offer. They had no plan B and she faced them down. Talking they being the uh, Brexit hardliners. Only because they don't like walking outside. <laughs> Only because they literally all have gout and cannot make it home. They would have died in the wilderness. It would have been like that episode. Or they're of essentially of, um, skeletons. It would have been that episode of Peep Show where Mark almost dies in the Quantarks. No one dies in southern England. <laughs> Um, ministers held a four-hour meeting at Chequers. Ministers, officials and special advisers had just enjoyed a buffet lunch of chicken thighs and Chequers scones with clotted cream and strawberry jam with the option of sticky tea loaf on the terrace. Chequers scones? Apparently Chequers scones. Are they a special scone only made at Chequers? Yes. That we're never going to be allowed to see? (laughs) No, I was more commenting on, if you look at the menu as a whole, it's like, are you trying to be the most, like, retrograde English people? Break out a fucking spice once in a while. I don't have to try. Um, (laughs) During the meeting, the windows were thrown open and staff ferried in Diet Coke and elderflower cordial as fast as they could. (laughs) Because apparently our our cabinet exists in an Agatha Christie novel. (laughs) With cans of Diet Coke as well. Um, So they came out of this meeting with what uh, Theresa May referred to as a facilitated customs arrangement. And I'd just like to point out that for all the rights bitching at postmodernism and like being unable to understand, you know, the Luz Guattari or or Adorno or anything like that, um, there is no one who can mangle the English language like a Tory who's trying to sell you something. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, So we're really going to talk about this? We're going to talk about it briefly, yeah. But Uh, look, let's get to the end of it and then we'll we'll discuss your... (laughs) Your objections to... But it doesn't exist. It does exist. No. It does exist. No, if a Brexit agreement is made in the South Buckinghamshire countryside and no one's left there to hear it, does it really (laughs) exist anymore? What is the sound of one nation clapping? (laughs) (laughs) Briefly, Mm. her idea is that... uh, Now, this is just on uh, customs arrangements around goods. It doesn't count for services, people, anything like that. So, like, there's... We've talked about it before. There are four main pillars to like what the EU dis- what the EU deals with. That's yeah. goods, services, people, and fuck. Why can't I remember the, set, the third, fourth one? Magic. Uh, magic. Yep, that's the one. Um, so they would the UK would accept uh, harmonisation with EU rules on trading goods. Parliament would have the final say over how these rules are incorporated into UK law, including a veto. There'll be different arrangement for trade and services, including including financial products with greater quote unquote regulatory flexibility. Um, that's only for financial products, though, because they haven't discussed the rest of the service sector yet. Mm. <laughs> well, that's the service sector doesn't really matter. Uh, they'll be able to control its own tariffs uh, and develop an independent trade policy. The jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice will end, but the UK will pay regard to its decisions in areas where common rules are in force. And um, free movement would end, but they would have some kind of arrangement for EU citizens. Right? Mm-hmm. The issue with this is that it's essentially keeping things the same way as they are now. Hmm. However, the UK would not be a member of the EU and so therefore wouldn't have any democratic input into how the rules are being. It would literally fulfil the worst fantasies of Brexiters. Yeah, of but on the plus side, yeah. Dan Hannan wouldn't have a job anymore. 
Mm. He definitely would. If that went through, that's the big issue. That's what what's caused all this stuff. It would, would it be, be writing be... thousands and thousands of um, Telegraph and Times articles, appearing on Guido Fawkes' brand new YouTube channel, which I assume is going to be around, and bitching about how the EU controls us all. And at that point, he actually might have a point. He might not yeah. be a fantasist in that regard. Yeah. Because we would just have no input into it at all. Basically, yeah, it would be the kind of ramblings of Neil Hamilton next to an open fire. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's the deal she came out with. And everyone was very like, oh, Theresa May, she's she's stared down her critics. And I did she's... think David Cameron had to convince Boris not to leave them. Yeah, apparently so. I can't imagine what he promised him because, like Boris, they hate each other like with a passion. Yeah. Um, I think, based on who got first go on the pig, <laughs> uh, Boris has never forgiven Dave for going first. Um, Always a pig's bridesmaid, bridesmaid, <laughs> never a pig bride. Yeah. Um, but I do like that. No matter what it was, it lasted like. A couple of hours, maybe, maybe twenty four hours. So, um, they all came out, and there was kind of broad agreements. She was planning to um, present the plan to Labour MPs, which was a weird one, mm. um, separately, and then she was going to make a statement today. Mm. David Davis resigned about oh, half Sunday eleven night. Sunday yeah. night. Uh, he said uh, he had to resign. This is a quote: "I had to resign because this was central to my job." If we continued with this policy and I was still there, I'd have to present it in the House of Commons. I'd have to present it in Europe. I'd have to be the champion of a policy which I didn't believe in. So that doesn't work. Somebody else can do a better job than me under those circumstances. Um, and he'll go back to his first job, which is standing at the cliffs of Dover, giving Europe an ocular pat down. <laughs> scanning the white cliffs for threats. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this was then followed yesterday by Boris resigning uh, about half an hour before she was due to go in and make this statement yeah there was um because thingy ian dale used to work for david davis yeah so when he quit on sunday night ian dale literally said i want could you come on my show and so on monday hmm. david davis was being interviewed by ian dale yes and was. during the interview ian dale got the message that boris had just resigned <laughs> and you could hear david davis disgust yeah i've actually got the like end. a lot of tories have revolted by it the, which the, is like to discuss the tory other than you know showing basic human kindness <laughs> <laughs> that disgusts them but you know with regards to breaking the rules their rules <laughs> oh they hate that they there hate was that. i did actually get grab a quote from the end of that uh uh interview um when david davis was talking about how this this whole thing was central to his job and he couldn't do it if he didn't believe in it he said, I don't think it was central to the Foreign Secretary. It's a pity, but there we are. <laughs> um, yeah, Boris resigned. Um, he said, the Brexit dream is dying, suffocated by needless self-doubt. We're in the ludicrous position of asserting that we must accept huge amounts of EU law without changing an iota and without being able to influence the rules. Yeah. In that respect, we are truly headed for the status of a colony. <laughs> Which is <laughs> beyond ironic. Well, who better to know how bad it is to be a colony than a man who... <laughs> Spent his life defending colonialism. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's an expert. He knows the ins and outs of it. Problem is, what racial slur do you call us if we become a colony? Fog breathers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Um, that's not even accurate. It's fucking sunny as hell out there. Oh, it's pretty polluted though. Like <laughs> true. Where I walk, where I walk the dog, and get quite high up, and you can see quite away, and the colour of the sky, like of the air over Edmonton, is pretty vile. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, Boris is. He's quite special, isn't he? Like you saw the thing with um, what's her name, the um, Radcliffe in Iran. Oh yes, the Iranian. But that's all fucked up. Woman prisoner, yeah. That's all fucked prisoner, up. Yeah. But she's going to be there for longer because you know. He had to quit before he finished the paperwork, essentially. Because it, that's his whole... That's his whole thing. Like, we talk about how, like, managerialism in politicians has become separate from, like, PR and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's never been quite so um, distinct as it is in Boris Johnson. This is a man who, by my count, has never done anything. He's written a lot. He's written a lot of... He's had a lot of affairs. He's... He has had a lot of affairs. He got fired twice it's for not lying. not exactly beneficial. Well, he also well, no, threatened to break a journalist, to hire a man to break a journalist's legs. Yes. And I don't, I don't get what he's what he's for, other than that he's there. Um, His position is entirely due to the fact that he happens to be around a lot of people who are in those positions. So therefore, to talk to them, hmm. somehow he has to be in those positions as well. Also, he's got that kind of amazing strategic mind that you can only get from doing classics <laughs> he understands how Europe works because he understands how Europe worked nearly 3,000 years ago <laughs> he's just Emily Thornberry was on Channel 4 News and she said he's possibly the worst foreign secretary ah. to ever be um, I would take issue with that you say Jack Straw um, well how many people has Boris Johnson got killed yeah, true. I mean, when did he start? He must have started with Theresa May, I'm assuming, after the leadership election, right? That's when yeah, he became yeah, foreign so. secretary. Yeah. yeah. Um, because that's how we define how good one of our foreign secretaries because what else are they going to do? Yeah, yeah, true. But then given given half the opportunity... And he's and done good work embarrassing Britain in front of the world. I like that. I like the... He's a perfect example. He's like He's great to just show the, the continual decline of the British Empire. Yeah. Just to remind everyone that... Hey everybody, there's nothing to fear about the British Empire because look, the inbreeding has taken hold now. <laughs> they are all gonna be dead soon. As far as I can see, his main like in like breeding and skill led him to the conclusion that what he needed to do was to make the joke about himself before everyone else did. Mm. Part of that very kind of like almost postmodern defensiveness about the way he conducted himself. It's like if I get if I put a helmet on and get on a zip line in a Union Jack uh, <laughs> in a Union Jack waistcoat or something. That's the jokes that they're going to make about me. Yeah. That's all I need to do. Oh, he's so dirty. It will disarm any of the actual harm that he does wherever he goes. Like that fucking um, Heathrow vote. Hmm. The man who said, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm like, I'm a, I'm a the... green Tory. That's what I am. I'll lie down in front of the bulldozers." And where is he with the vote? He fucks off to Afghanistan. Hmm. You know, he's just such a... He, he's unbelievably cynical mm. for a Tory politician. Mm. He has absolutely... Like, even Tor Tories generally, like, they're either actually selfish and vicious or they want to... They think that the evil and, like, vicious things that they're doing will somehow promote good. Mm. They tend to fall into those two rough camps. He believes neither. Mm. I've no idea. And it can't be for wealth. He's already wealthy. It's prominence and like it's a very he 
he is similar to Trump. Mm. I mean, watching that Trump series on Netflix, and the one thing you come away from that with is from is that his priorities don't match anything that ninety nine percent of humanity would would consider like a goal or a priority. It's just who do I know in this circle of friends, and how can I get one over on them or insult them or appear better than them. But on the plus side, when Boris jumped out on the boat that was just another stake into the heart of the planet and he ran away to Afghanistan, did he kill a couple of hundred thousand of them like Jack Straw? I think, yeah, it's one of the, it is one of those kind of... It's a just on raw numbers. It's a hypothetical, but we're not in... Since Iraq, we're not in the era of... Thank God large-scale interventions yet. That's I think why it's if he really hung, good that Michael he, Gove didn't make, get made yeah, foreign secretary. Yeah, if he hung on, hmm. he probably, he would have been complicit because Theresa May, had she not had Brexit to deal with, would probably have started in hard on Syria if she yeah, had been probably. in a stronger position to start with. Because that's what Cameron was, hmm. like, wheeling up to. Because all Prime Ministers do. They get, hmm. like, three years in and suddenly they're looking at their legacy and they're hmm. going to be the great kind of state builders. And it just so, as we said it before, it just so happens to be that the state that they now need to rebuild is Britain, mm. is the UK. And they're, they're occupied with that. Mm. So, which is a good thing. But just because he didn't do anything, I don't think we necessarily give him the benefit of being like some kind of anti imperialist by, oh, ac- no, by, by, no. by accident. No, you know. no, 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 I know. I know I'm just saying not, he's not the worst. Emily Thornberry's wrong. He, she, he's yeah. not the worst. Because um, you know, and you also there were, goes for Emily Thornberry as well. Yeah, she, there are plenty of wars that she voted for. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, she's got bodies on her. <laughs> um, so the Tories generally, <laughs> right? Where do they? What I mean, what what happens from here? I think we disagreed we on this. We were so talking, we were talking a bit about this beforehand, and you were saying like, oh, well, it won't matter what Theresa May does because she won't be there. I could and I disagree. She, I think she will be there. Um, I, I, I don't think it really matters if she's there or not because either way they're not going to be able to achieve fuck all. <laughs> um, I'd like her to go because I quite like watching Tories, you know, hack at each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm and if there's a leadership election, then we get to have the Maverick, Gavin Williamson on TV. The Gaverick. Yeah, the Gaverick. <laughs> And I'm quite looking forward to him trying to win over voters by asking them to touch his spider. Or <laughs> That's not a euphemism. He actually has a spider. Yeah, which yeah. he uses to intimidate his enemies in his office or skeeve them out of it. He has other things that he does, like eating worms to make people fall into line on a free line whip. Um, yeah. That's kind, all... It's kind of like the equivalent of like, you know, when a CEO does karate because mm. they think it will like enhance their predatory instincts. Yeah. Or they do, you know, mountain climbing or tough mother or some tough mother, sorry, yeah, or something like that because they think it will make their enemies fear them. Yeah, <laughs> I bet you Gavin Williamson has a katana in his house. <laughs> I bet you he does a katana and wall scrolls. Yeah, <laughs> in the room with his spiders. Um, there was a survey of uh, conservative members on on conservative home. Yeah, uh, that suggests that this deal and the subsequent uh, resignations is really not going down well. <laughs> no shit. Uh, no shit, yeah. Apparently, uh, leave voting members... Uh, three in five party members disagree with the deal. Half as many support it, and about 10% are in the don't know category. Hmm. I was looking on conservativewoman.co.uk um, for some byline comments. Yeah. Um, and some of them are terrifying. 
Uh, one said, yes, there's been a lot of backstabbing going on, but May seems to believe she can stab 17.4 million of us in the back and go on to bigger things. It will, Yes, uh, if we uh, deselect her, it will bring down the Tory party, probably quite quickly, as they face the question of split the party or quit the party, but it will also force changes in our system of government. New political parties will only result in more of the same. Someone replied, sounds excellent. Please can we see your paper? The Veteran and Democracy Party suggest direct democracy. Another person replied, I'm with you there. Parliament and government, obsolete. Hmm. It's not just the Tories people detest. We detest Labour, Lib Dems, SNP, Greens and the rest. The political party system is what will be replaced first. Uh, it sounds quite fash. <laughs> Poor ply, they don't even get a look in with the fascists. <laughs> It, it's just I, I, they'll be building up building their camps and like consigning people to death and Ply will survive because people will have forgotten about them <laughs> it's just you know these are the tendencies within the Tory party that go along with the Leave vote mm. I mean whatever you say about kind of uh, uh, Labour not going along with Remainers the risk of the Tory party not going along with Leavers yeah. uh, I have no stake in it I don't want to I don't really care either way because I'm not a Tory Yeah, but Seen from a distance, you could see some kind of resurgence in the far right from a lot of these people who are committed Tories, as in they actually go out and do stuff for and them. Brexiters are the only ones who've killed anyone so far. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those one of those things that makes me a little bit a little bit wary. Mm. And ultimately, like the political elite at the top of the Leave vote, they like the you know your David Davises, Boris Johnsons. Um, Michael Goes, people like that, they really only have themselves to blame. Mm. They've had two years to come up with some kind of alternative about what it would look like. And all they've done is like rest back on the same old tropes. Yeah. I haven't heard anything different out of them since like the leave vote. You know, there's no, oh, well, this is actually what's, what's going to happen. This is what I angle for. They're just reacting to Theresa May, who seems to be trying to triangulate her own party. Yeah, she does seem like the thing we were talking about earlier, like this. And they are, are they already calling it the Brexit in name only? Yes, I have seen um, that floated around. Because if, if, if um, the EU say, yeah, this is great, mm. then the hardcore Remainers will love her. Mm -hmm. um, because I've already heard James O'Brien, he doesn't really care about not having a choice in this, the way the EU's run. It's a fucking joke. I hate that it's, so it's much. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. I hate that. These people who have been going on and on at Corbyn yeah. for months about you need to stop Brexit. It doesn't have to happen. We can just stop it. And the second a soft remain, mm. a soft leave uh, plan mm. comes on the table mm. from a grown up, mm. they just go along with it. Yeah. And it's like, you know, that's worse. Yeah. This is far worse. Well, it will empower Brexiters and it will increase the amount of them. But um, yeah, so if the EU say yes, then she'll make Remainers happy. If the EU say fuck off, then it's hard Brexit, and then Jacob Rees-Mogg is happy. Yeah. I mean, at the moment, all I can see is that it's back to square one. Yeah. She has basically reset the clock to when she put in Article 50, and in a deeper sense, she's reset the clock back to like the major years. Mm. The whole point of like Cameron calling the referendum when he did was to try and... Take sort the teeth of project, out of the... Well, project the split that he had in the Tory party and foist the, foist the split onto the country as a whole. Mm. And he did that, and now they're trying to put it back in again, and it's only made the Tory split worse because it's, it's something you can't resolve. Like, 
deeper underneath it, there's a, a conflict between two shards of the Catalyst class and its ruling class to try and work out uh, what British capitalism should look like in the face of a global capitalism that has just steamrolled everywhere. Yeah. Which is why, like all of the all of the like Brexit um, like capitalists tend to be like smaller scale national capitalists. You yeah. know, you might I've mentioned it before, but like you're Mike Ashley's. Yeah. People who only have interest in the country, maybe small medium medium enterprise SMEs. Hmm. Um, whereas the ones who want to remain are the ones who are more heavily tied in with the global economy and, and large multinationals. Uh, what are the best things like that? The small businesses um, former small businesses that are folded. Mm. There are so many people who phone up LBC who like it's it, the EU destroyed my business, yeah. completely destroyed it, and it, I'm not it's usually the, it's because of the, the, the they will try to sell widgets or screws or gizmos. It's a it's a classic kind of like contradiction within the ideology that's powered neoliberal capitalism because mm. I mean Thatcher pioneered this whole idea that. You need to have you know massive global investment, yeah. global waves of capital being allowed to go wherever it wants, wreaking havoc wherever it wants, combined with a kind of patriotic nationalism that papers over those cracks. And in this particular case, that bit of it has manifested as anti-EU sentiment. Mm. That's how they resolved the contradictions. They found a supranational body that embodied kind of deeper English qualms about mm. the nature of their foreign policy it also wraps up with some kind of like post-imperial melancholy yeah like feeling sorry for yourself and failing to develop an identity beyond an imperial country mm. and all of this has wrapped up to the point where they only really have slogans and symbols to go on because they're the way that they manage capitalism is either hands off or for the accountants and yet that's not something you can sell a policy on. You can't sell a policy mm. on this will be good for the accountants. Mm. There is an argument to be made that like, you know, neoliberalism is powered by accountants because it tries to make everybody into accountants of their own lives, of mm. their own like health care and their, their gas and electric bills and stuff like that. But it it doesn't it doesn't sell. It's mm. not colourful. And unfortunately the kind of colourful like way of selling politics when you're dealing with a post-imperial country like Britain and you can promote these stab-in-the-back myths, leads to a resurgence of fascism. Fascism mm. brings culture to politics as opposed to making culture political. Mm. They want to separate it, but they want to make politics more colourful and more you know, vibrant and believe and you mm. know, all that kind of stuff. Is oh, if, if we have this the really kind of soft Brexit where mm. nothing changes except how we don't get any say in anything, yeah. It's going to get so much worse. Mm. And the liberals will laugh and they'll be fine with it. Yeah. Right up until it starts getting really violent. A like I bet you like our future our choice will fall away. They'll disappear if this yeah. if this goes Oh through. no, a soft. That's what I mean we were talking about this a few weeks ago that mm. like they don't know it but Corbyn's probably their best chance for a decent like leave plan. Mm. As he's probably in a better position to mm. do a soft leave at well, this point than you, Theresa May is because he doesn't have to fight his party over it. And this soft leave, it won't last. If, if, if no. it went, even if it went through, you're talking like another referendum within our lifetimes, like within five, ten years. Yeah. Um, it is kind of galling seeing the people say that, you know, now it's just Corbyn who's the party of hard Brexit. 
that's that's not. I saw that today. Somebody saying that. It's like you know that that's not true. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. They've taken a. They seem to have taken a visceral like, a per, like almost insulted dislike. Mm. To well, Corbyn. a lot of them are Tories and don't like to think that they're Tories. Yeah. Um, you know, like Nim Ali, who's not a Tory, but she will be running as a Tory candidate for mayor. <laughs> just, just because I vote for the Tories and stand for them in elections, how dare you call me a Tory? If she's standing as London mayor, standing for London mayor, that yeah. means that she's been a Tory for at least the last three months, I think, because of yeah. um, because of the rules before. I'm you not sure. It, I'm not sure if she made that tweet before she'd actually signed up for it. I'm not sure if she'd missed the window. I, I, yeah, I but know. even if 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 I um, know she that was on the day of the it was like a, the, a couple of days before the window, before the um the deadline. Ah, right, but you have okay. to have been a member of the Tory party for sure. a while before, and so it looks like she probably was has been a member of the Tory party for a long time mm. while telling everyone that she's not a Tory. Yeah despite hanging out with Tories all the time, and today eulogising Boris Johnson. <laughs> I think you get to this point in um, a Conservative government, and like it happened to New Labour as well, mm. where um, they're, they're, they're like, the Conservatives as a whole, if we don't split it into like Cameron and May, yeah. you almost, they almost find themselves in kind of the position that New Labour were in, where they've stuck, because they have taken on this kind of broad appeal, which Cameron did worse than Blair, but ultimately, that's the thing they yeah. decided to do. They decided to take the kind of broad middle class appeal mm. of Thatcher and soften it and, and soften people's consciences so that they could vote for them. Yeah. But slowly, that takes them away from their base, which for New Labour was dwindling anyway with mm. deindustrialisation, but kind of encompassed kind of like civil, not civil servants, like local government workers, mm. NHS workers, things like that, yeah. who kind of instinctually put their trust in Labour. Mm. And the Conservatives had that with a kind of there's the kind of provincial middle class, um, maybe the small and medium, uh, small and medium sized businesses that Thatcher didn't fucking crush. Mm. Um, but slowly they've put themselves in, put this wedge between them because they've had to please so many people at so many different times. Mm. So you're left, and also along the way, you've inherited a lot of like basically careerists mm. because you are the government, you are the state people who don't necessarily go into the civil service, but they go to work for the Tory party because they're interested in politics and that's the career. I mean, it's yeah. been, what, eight years now? Mm. So that's long enough for somebody to go in and spend their entire 20s and their early 30s in or close to the Conservative Party. It's why you see a lot of um, about, like journalists coming up that are on the right. Mm. That conservative, you think, well, why are you doing that? You know, you're young, you've been mm. through university, you've... you've suffered from those experiences or you know you haven't um but they've imposed their kind of brand of politics on on those people yeah but unfortunately they're that it means they don't count they don't count in elections they don't count no. as far as like making your party a whole ideological vehicle mm. you know and that's why it seems so bereft because they've been in power too long yeah, it was, it was so, they were in power too long after they were in power for like six months. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's so nothing. Because they took what New Labour did and did it weaker. Yeah. Because they had even less of a, a, a mandate than he did. They don't have a base anymore. They don't have a strong local party. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's, so what do you reckon the Tories are going to be like next week? I was um, staring at the birds when I was walking the dog earlier <laughs> and all I could work out was that there's a lot of birds about the Tories are a mess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I think she'll. You don't think she'll last? Um, I, I think she will. I, I I think I think there's a good chance that she she won't last. I do think also that 
it doesn't really matter if she does last because if it will be actually it could be even worse for them if she doesn't go because she's even more powerless now yeah um i could i this could have sound bit maybe a reach but i could see a bunch of tories waiting until after the world cup to decide whether they should hire Nouster. Because the rules are, the 1922 committee, you need 48 MPs to, to sign a letter of no confidence. Mm. Then you need something like 150 to actually vote against her. Yeah. And then if that fails, you can't do it, uh, well, even if it succeeds, you can't do it again for another like six or eight months. I could just... So I can see them biding their time. I could see them wait, let England win the World Cup. Or, <laughs> even worse, England lose to Belgium. It's so good. Well, yeah, it's good for me because I'm not English, but it's like it would be. You know, no, if you're no, but, like, no, but the optics. Oh yeah, the the pure like zeitgeisty power of mm. England versus Belgium in the World Cup final at this point in time <laughs> is, wow, it's so good. No, like I think, I think she's still got her inner circle. They all need an inner circle of people in the party mm. who keep it going, mm. who keep. Relaying, so relaying, relaying the orders. Yeah, it's gotten so small. The only people you've got are the ones who are not necessarily remain, but want a business-friendly mm. Brexit. They yeah. want the EU mechanisms to continue to benefit, you know, their multinational overlords, mm. but don't see anyone else who will offer that. I think she's the only one who offers that to them, so they will stick with her. And I don't know if that's the majority of the Tory party. I don't know whether it's enough. But I could see them sticking it out to deliver some half-hearted um, Brexit deal that eventually the EU will accept. And it will just go on. This, this argument hasn't been resolved because it's too, it's too divisive. You can't get people to vote on the infrastructure. The other option is Tories like sitting there and wait for her to do the really, really bad Brexit the, like, that's essentially staying in but staying with in, no but choice. Not being in. Um, and then they asked her and become... And become UKIP. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could see them like losing losing voters, and like I've seen a lot of people talking about, um, like a lot of left Twitter people talking mm. about um, Ramsay McDonald. As far as um, Labour Labour's role in this Who's whole Ramsay thing. Ramsay McDonald. Ramsay McDonald was the first Labour Prime Minister. Mm. Um, he was elected in like nineteen twenty three, I think, and he was in power for like a year, and he mm. got ousted. He was then uh, he then won a minor he was in a minority government in twenty nine hmm. when the Great Recession hit um, the Great Depression. Fucking Labour, always do. <laughs> <laughs> they mismanaged the economy and then caused. The <laughs> it's, it's in olden times. There was a there was a little note in one of the civil service drawers saying there there thou'st no money left. <laughs> Wasn't that long ago? <laughs> <laughs> it's in history. <laughs> it's in the history. <laughs> but the the the. Relevancy is that when his cabinet um, were faced with the fact that they would have to uh, cut wages and do austerity, um, the cabinet couldn't agree, so he threatened to resign. He went to the king. Hmm. The king suggested he form a national government, which Mm. might be something you're going to be hearing from Fubbies quite a lot in the next few months, Um, which was essentially him... And the Tory party and a small amount of Labour people who stood on to support him. And they then won a landslide at the following election. It was like 400 MPs mm. were voted in for the national government. He then spent five years at the head of an essentially being Prime Minister of the Tory party in power. He's considered one of the greatest traitors in Labour Party <laughs> history. 
But I think the reason why people on the left are like talking about this stuff again is that there's an inkling that Corbynism mm. hasn't done enough to get rid of the people, kind of people who would do that again. Oh yeah. Can you see anybody on the Labour front bench, maybe not ousting Corbyn, but putting irresistible pressure upon him to do that kind of thing, to become prime minister, yeah. but have the backing of like remain MP, uh, remain Tories, or you know leave Tories, or you know whatever. However, I could see, I could however see, that would work. I out. could see people pushing for that. I couldn't. I can't see Corbyn doing it no, I reckon no. he'd just I, I, I don't think I don't think at I all I just say screw this noise you can see the whole kind of pressure yeah, on him to quit definitely. ramping up again um, and I think there's also this subconscious thing that we haven't really done enough to get rid of the right wingers in the Labour Party oh, no, who have proposed that kind of but thing not doing enough implies that anything has been done yeah I mean there, no, it's some, hard to do some so. good steps towards democracy which naturally opposes the right in the Labour Party mm. Some steps towards party democracy has have been have been taken, but yeah, you are right. There's not been enough done, and I think all this talk and this drawing that historical analogy, kind of, yeah, like I say, represents this subconscious fear that we're entering into a very like fluid period where Labour needs to be ready. Hmm. Can't necessarily be in this process of democratization and getting right people in. Mm can't be in this process forever mm. it needs to settle it i saw tom watson was talking about how that they they need to prop up the government fucking hell yeah there was a the jess phillips tweet was um oh. i'm not sure about i'm not sure about it because she, what she said was um theresa may should uh tell theresa may should tell her fuck off like i said to diane abbott <laughs> allegedly um disproven yeah which apparently yeah i did do that it was apparently disproven and she, um, Jessica was just the kind of person that likes to make up stories about being horrible to black women. <laughs> I mean, I, I actually almost see the logic in it, but I know she wasn't coming from that mm. that direction. She wasn't coming from the direction of, um, let them stew, mm. let them carve themselves apart as a tactical maneuver. Mm. She was coming at it from the this is the best thing for the country. We need Theresa May for the country, mm. which is just a despicable thing. For a Labour MP to do. Yeah. I don't get it at all. No. Who is she winning over? Who does she win? Who is convinced by that tweet? If re-selections start happening, she will not last. She really does need to go. Hmm. Um, yeah, she's been atrocious this week. I think we'll talk about it on a future episode, yeah. maybe. Um, the story of Chess the, Phillips. The, the, the whole story of Chess Phillips, but it's... Um, hmm. Yeah... Okay, so as we mentioned earlier, uh, we've had a couple of weeks off mm. because uh, we've had various stuff to do, and you've been immersing yourself in the pleasures that you you know everyone has their particular vices. Your vices are a vice chancellor. Uh, <laughs> you love looking around universities with your teenage daughter. Yeah, it's I just live for it. Um, <laughs> it was the only reason to have a kid was to get to the inevitable bit where the stress of universities can destroy my life. <laughs> um, but no, it's so. Lily's in her. Well, she just finished her first year of A levels, mm -hmm. so you get she's you know got all her mock grades and all that kind of stuff. So she's got all her predicted grades, mm -hmm. and um, you have to get your application if you want to apply to Oxford and Cambridge. You have to get your applications in by September. Jesus. So you have to do all the the trips around universities early. Yes. Yeah. So we've been doing all that, which is exp 
expensive. Mm-hmm. Like train fare, yeah, is pricey. Yeah, and I hear those trains are pretty bad. Yeah. Um. <laughs> oh god, the train. Oh, the trains. It's so horrible. But yeah, so we've been going around universities. Um. It, on the plus side, there was a lot less. Sh- it was getting really stressful, and then it got less stressful when Lily got her predictive grades. Yeah. So because they were quite good, we were able to go, ha. Mm. Um, which was nice. Um, we've done all the bullshit like personal statements and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> four thousand characters. Characters. I know. It's um it's because that's roughly a side of A four, I think. They could just say a side of A four. Yeah, but then right. they might try and do like font oh, size. Yeah. You know what I mean? They have to be really specific. Oh, of course they but are. it's such a it it fit like Lily was freaking out about like that's so hard to do. It is um, incredibly hard to do. I, but yeah, so I always hated it. So we've had like all these little stages mm-hmm. and like Okay, so I've got a bit of class-based social anxiety. Sure. I think that's the right way of putting it. Um, I feel uncomfortable around my social betters. Yeah, in those kind of environments, I'm not for that. They're not for I think me. most people most people listening I reckon can probably understand understand yeah. the feeling of you know you're at the Henley regatta and yeah and you've all got that red shoes on oh God. yeah um all the, all the rules is that a thing I don't know I know yeah um, I get you so because of um my wife's very very busy at the moment um we're alternating between universities right and it just so happened that Holly got to go to um Durham and Bristol and York. And I got to go normal, to normal cities. Let's say yeah, normal ish. cities. Yeah. Norm, well, quite fancy universities, but at least good not. universities. But that they are—they're not cities defined by the universities. Yeah, and I got to do other than maybe Durham. I got to do Oxford and Cambridge. <laughs> um, you have a gifted child. Yeah, and that was hard. I was proper bricking it. Yeah. Um, it was not much. Like, there's a lot of stages before you even get to this point of like going to the colleges, going to the universities. So. There's and there's a lot of stuff about how they these universities like I'll mainly talk about Oxford and Cambridge mm. that they are open to anyone any class yeah any kind of financial background mm-hmm. as long as you're smart enough to get in then fine ignoring the fact that if you go to Eton or Harrow you are more likely to come out with A stars yeah so you know a true that. meritocratic ideal yeah in theory <laughs> um, but then there's the thing like. Um, Lily's been in Oxbridge Club for the last year that she was selected for at the college to do where they teach you wow. about what to, what you should be focusing on and help you through all that. Fuck. Telling you little things like um, that stuff, like don't bother with Duke of Edinburgh, they couldn't give a shit about it. You know, things like that. Hmm. Um, focus more on this, in all that kind of stuff. Teach Like the reason why Lily's personal statement was so ready so early is because she's been pretty much working on it for the last like six months. Yeah. Um, so there's that thing. So that's like one of the first gates. Mm. Um, the next gate is there will be plenty of students who probably only decided about a week or so ago that they may, might consider going to Oxford or Cambridge. Mm-hmm. But they've just missed all the open days. The next open day, there, there aren't any more, and they have to get their application in by September. But college is finished now. Yeah. So they've got the summer holiday to try and work it out on their own. Like, a lot of colleges are very good and helpful, like the one that Lily goes to. Yeah. They're very, like, they're there all the time for you to hassle. Um, is there an expectation with the kind of college it is that 
a number of them will be likely to go to Oxbridge. Because um, I don't remember that. In my, I think a couple of people from my school went to Oxford and um, Cambridge. I, think there's, I don't know that for certain, but it certainly wasn't necessarily Lily's, default. Lily's College is quite good, and the options there, and they're, they're willing to help. Sure. Um, and a lot of the teachers did go. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're helpful right, with that yeah. kind of stuff. But do you know what I mean? That's that's a that's another gate. Yes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so then, then you have, you know, going around to all the universities, which cost money, mm-hmm. a lot of money. There's your next one. Yeah. Um, so over the summer holiday, we'll be practising for the ELAT, which is the Ooh. English Literature Exam. Right. Because there's one for, like, English Literature, there's one for Law. There's a couple... Tests. You have to do other tests, entrance exams, for some of the top-tier universities. <laughs> Yeah. Right, okay. Um, and she'll be having that exam in October. Yeah. That costs money to do. And it costs money to get... What, know, they make you pay to oh, yeah. do the test? Yeah, yeah. That, how is that legal? Um, well, because <laughs> it is. Um, yeah. Then there's... Sure. And then there's the then the next bit is like, I think it's pretty common for Oxford to have a three-day interview where you stay there. Three days? Yeah, where you do like... I think because there's so many people and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, you know what I mean? These, these are all these little things that are just put people off it um that would just mean that a lot of people just well wouldn't feel comfortable i the i really didn't want to take lily brown oxford yeah i was terrified i was convinced that you know they'd grab me and throw me out because of me like tie you in a sack and throw you into the river where yeah. they could punt over you that's, exactly. that's why the river's so shallow that you can punt on it yeah can you punt in oxford or no um i, I imagine they do <laughs> i don't i don't i didn't notice any punts in oxford um but i think they do Maybe yeah. not as much as Cambridge. But anyway, so we go to I go we go to Cambridge, Oxford, and it was actually really nice. Yeah. Um and they're like they're super into it, if you know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. the students, you get led around by the students around the colleges. Yeah. Also, here's the thing, the college system. Mm-hmm. So you're not applying to a university, you're applying to one of thirty odd colleges. Yes, yeah. Um, so you know, on the open day you go around the colleges. So before you get there, you have to have in your head which colleges to go to. Me and Lily managed to see three in the day because we were wrecked. <laughs> and that's like a barely scratching the surface. Mm. Um, so again, that's another, like, it's intimidating. It's like so much of intimidation, which not even, not even intended, yeah. but it's there. Um, <laughs> you must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Mm. Like John Gabbard test. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was nice. It's really off-putting how much cheaper it is to stay at so Oxford. You've mentioned this. Explain this to me because, like the okay. the whole thing is the idea that going to Oxford and Cambridge. Oxford has a huge like their property prices and their mm. rental prices are sky high for everybody else in the mm. city. And so my immediate instinct is to say, well, that's because it's university and it's like an elite university, a wealthy university. Mm. So wealthy people go there and they try and gouge them. That, drives everything else up but you you're saying that it's actually a lot cheaper yeah how so well it um well the rooms are cheaper um the rooms um her maintenance loan will cover the rent easy um whereas the rent um for and the rooms are fantastic yeah um when we went around queen's college every room we went in had a piano (laughs) it's just like little things like that it's like well of course there's a piano um there were ensuite ensuite rooms with a fucking roll top baths in them like it's it's because it's so old and they've got these massive fucking rooms. Yeah. Um, but the diff like the rooms in York were tiny little halls rooms. They're like halls. Yeah, they were. But they were like seven grand a year. Twentieth century built kind yeah. of halls. But they're seven grand a year. Yeah. 
as opposed to roughly four and a half thousand pound. Jesus. Um, there is the fact that Lily wouldn't be there as much. Yeah. Because they have a lot, they're at university a lot less time mm-hmm. in um, Oxford and Cambridge. They have very intense terms. Sure. Yeah. Um, but the food as well. Everything's at cost. <laughs> so you've got. Like um, catering in halls uh, yeah. or around halls. Yeah. yeah? Um, like the one that Lily really liked. Um, there's breakfast every day served in the big room that looked like something out of Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> and that was like £2 for the for a full English. Mm. And then lunch is there. No, there's not lunch. But there's dinner, which is a three-course meal, mm-hmm. which is about like a pound something. Bloody hell. Um, and it's that kind of thing, that everything's yeah. at cost. Um, because they're encouraged not to work as well. They're not allowed to work yeah. unless you're working for the university. Mm. So they have their own little bars that they work in. It's like, it's very cute. It's it's Harry Potter. Yeah. It's Harry Potter as fuck. But it also feels like the kind of, it is what universities are kind of supposed to be. Exactly. Um, that was the horrible thing Which that came out of Oxford. was not my experience at university. Like, I didn't really go to university, but I, all of my friends did. Mm. And it did not look at all like that. No. Um, like, the, the thing, her, most of her classes would be five people. Go, <laughs> what the fuck is up with that? Um, but yeah, it's, it's all designed around being as good an environment for them to learn as possible. Yeah. That's great. Um, it was, I still felt really intimidated by every single part of it. Um, <laughs> but nowhere near as intimidated as I was by Cambridge. Ah, yes. You which was disgusting. Week. That Like, I don't like, like that part of the world. East Anglia is a disgusting tumour on the edge of England. England, a country that I don't particularly like. Spoken like a true anywhere. <laughs> um, but it's disgusting, East Anglia. Um, it's boggy. It's it's horrible. It's reclaimed from the sea by prisoners of war and the sea should take it back. But Cambridge is, I don't like it. It's like a kind of, it's like Canterbury with airs and graces and Canterbury feels like Rochester with airs and graces and Rochester is bit up itself. Um, <laughs> but there was no one nice, there no one nice looking to drink. Mm-hmm. As soon as we got there, Lily was like, I don't like this city. It's like, no, it's not a very nice city. But also, um, the students who had taken people around were significantly posher, significantly whiter. Yeah. Um, like maybe Oxford, they were, you know, Pushing the brown ones best, out. Best foot forward. Or yeah. Something. yeah. Um, but the, it seemed more multicultural than Cambridge yeah. by far. There was so many. There were people in like tweed suits going around. 17 year olds in tweed suits going around Cambridge. And that was hot as well. Yeah. That was like 30 degree weather. Yeah. Surrounded in hell by these guffawing twats. Mm. Oh, there was um, on the train to Oxford. I did feel a bit better about everything yeah. when I watched um, two very very posh boys unable to work out how to lock one of those doors on the kind of newer trains you know the kind of slidey door ones yeah, yeah. where you have to press the door to shut and then you press the lock button they couldn't work that out so I kept on seeing them sitting on the toilet and like freaking <laughs> out because there was nowhere to sit on the train um, so I had to stand around in the alleyway in the little compartment bit um, and then this lovely argument between two kids yeah. With um, one of them saying, if he can't do classics at Oxford, he'll do classics at Edinburgh because Edinburgh is one of the best universities in the world. Mm. And his mate saying, Edinburgh is not a very good university though. It's not at all. And he's like, what do you mean it's not? It is. It's it's a really great university. It's all about the people you know. 
And his mate says, but on the, all the league tables, it does really badly. Said, Who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust a new Labour league table or an Earl? <laughs> to which his mate said, you're not an Earl. And he said, my grandfather is. <laughs> Reminder, 17-year-old boy complaining about new Labour league tables. <laughs> There's a, there is an amazing like thing of like people treating it like they're consumers now and with the with league tables and things like that and what you're saying about like the the high class social anxiety Mm. combining it with that um i always find whenever you're in those situations like obviously i felt like i was going into a clothes shop yeah yes yeah you make like we can make fun of them when we're away Mm. but when you're actually in it and you haven't got mates around you or Mm. whatever to to laugh at them with Mm. Well, you know, I'm quite a, a confident person. I'm yeah, quite, yeah. I'm quite secure in who I am and in my environment, which is London. Yeah, I am fine. I'm yeah. fine in any London environment. Yeah, but that was very much out of my comfort zone. I was, I was having panic attacks before going to Cambridge. Yeah, it was fucking horrible. It's always worse than you think it is as well because you think I'm not going to judge anybody I meet on the way mm. because I worry that the stereotype I take in will on an even just a basic level, like, affect mm. how I treat people or, you know, how my daughter will... I was trying to keep my mouth shut because I didn't want to upset Lily. Treat, I didn't want to yeah, affect her. Sure. Like, me and her were both doing it in Cambridge. And then after we'd gone round um, Corpus Christi, as soon as we got out, we both just started pissing ourselves laughing. <laughs> it was because there was, was um, Christopher Marlowe. Yeah. Yeah. Christopher Marlowe went to Corpus Christi yeah. and they were very much, oh, you want to do English literature? Christopher Marlowe went here. Mm. La, da, 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 da. He stayed in these halls here. They were built in the 14th century. There's no running water. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> and then as soon as they walked away, Lily was like, he was only there for a year. They only gave him a degree because he's a spy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so she hated it. She despised that place. Yeah. Um, but it was weird how they're both virtually the same. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like right. it, when you think about Oxford and Cambridge, they're interchangeable really in your head. What's the difference? They're both full of fucking Tories. They're both that, that weird... Anachronistic well, Tories college system. And communists. <laughs> well, yeah, they're going to have all, all gonna of have the rich, British. Go- the for rich better communists. or worse, all of the British communists in the kind of, like, <laughs> in the 20th century came out of Oxbridge. Well, yeah, yeah, because you know you look at that. You're in a, the, one of the fucking colleges at Oxford. It's like, oh, here is in the in one of the free libraries for 270 students. <laughs> one of the free libraries. Oh, here's our Egyptology section that has to be kept at a certain temperature for the papyrus. <laughs> Here's our vault where we have a Shakespeare manuscript. Of course you're going to come out of that as a communist. <laughs> or as like a chairman of the Conservative Party. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it was so weird. It was a really weird experience and I'm really fucking glad it's over. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess, you know, once, uh, once Lily gets there, you know, she comes out a Tory. She can teach you how to mix with polite with society. Betters. Yeah. I'm, I, that's the thing, I was, after, when I was going around Cambridge, I was genuinely convinced that Lily would come out of it as a different person, and as a person that, yeah. not that I wouldn't like, but wouldn't like me. Yeah, sure. Um, I don't think that would really happen in Oxford. Maybe they were just much better at lying. Yeah. But it seemed funner and more inclusive, and there, at her college, they've had quite a few ex-students who went to Oxford and come back. Yeah. Um, talked about it, including a trans man. Mm-hmm. Who came out while there? Yeah, and was talking about how great everything was, mm-hmm. and so that's like, oh yeah, great, lovely. Mm-hmm. I want her to go to a nice, safe place. Yeah. Really, 
Um, it's like, yeah, I yeah. want what's good for her. It is weird how, like, you... Th- like, part of, like, obviously the universities as a whole in this country, further education has undergone a huge change in the last 10 years, 20 years. Mm. And you worry about dropping your kid into it because it's dropping them into the real world and it's so savage and so dog-eat-dog that you're worried about how they're going to come out because, Mm. like, none of us are are resistant to socialisation. And, like, I know, like, going to university in the heyday of labour, I went to university in, what, 2002, Mm. when they were putting a real big push on on, uh, over-18s to go to university as opposed to do vocational colleges or go into work because, obviously... The there was no work. Well, there was work, but it was it was increasingly casualised, mm. and it was basically I mean it was basically hairdressing. Mm. <laughs> New Labour's employment figures were driven by booming in hairdressing and I remember nail salons. Um, Midkent College had like a huge hairdressing department. Yeah, it, it kind of encouraged to do that. Mm. But um, we just thought we wanted to talk a bit about kind of what's happened with universities mm. um, and kind of working out why. Like, why there are so many barriers and why it's become so stratified? Well, the first thing that I thought with regards to why there's so many gates to get to Oxbridge. Mm-hmm. To then have an easier ride. Yeah. Oh, that's the thing. That's, that's the thing. Um, that, that was straight um, why it's always easier for rich people. Why everything's cheaper for rich people. Yeah. Like, a good example, like, me and Holly, we're not rich. Mm. Um, but there are certain things because of the way our money is, because we're not, we like, if we earn monthly, things would be much harder than the way it is because she's yeah. a writer, we get big lumps. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it means things like we don't have to buy things on higher purchase. We can buy a Outright. washing machine yeah. for X rather than X times two. Yeah. Um, so we get to do things like that. But the rich, pe- rich people get to do that all the time. And it's just another example of that. It's just like, once you get to that club, it's easy. Yeah. Like there was, um, there's Lily's had it a couple of times with, with um, people saying, "Once you get here, it's okay. You get to relax now." Yeah, and there is a lot of work, and that's, there's like no doubt that if Lily gets into Oxford, she will be working probably harder than at most universities. Oh yeah, like certainly. it's insane the amount of work. But it's the, supremely it's, intense. But then that's the, but you're helped, you're that, coddled as well. Yeah. Like I, I the one thing I was worrying about is like one of the things about going to university that's good is it teaches you how to be a, a grown-up, mm. in theory. Um, so at least learning how to like cook and clean for yourself. Yeah. But most of these colleges have people who clean for you, <laughs> and they fucking cook for you, because you're working all the time, so you kind of need that extra yeah. help. Yeah. And it would be nice if all universities were like that, rather than what they are. It's a notion of merit based on, on two things. The idea that you're innately gifted, so therefore anything... I mean... Obviously, that it's contradicted by the fact that you have to spend a load of money to take those exams, to take the trains. You have to have time off and things also, like that. The cost of the exams, the cost of the things, aren't big in the grand scheme of things. Like mm. for like a rich person, it's nothing. Mm. But we spent a good couple of hundred quid on train tickets, and the test I think is about a hundred pound. Yeah, that's too much for a that's, lot of people. That's like, a, that to would just be ask. a significant amount for me. For a chance, yeah. for, for not even to get in, for a chance. Yeah. Yeah. To get to the next stage, but there's that, that it's the it's the ideology of the way that those elite universities think, which is yeah. as perfectly aligned with neoliberalism as a whole, in that the neoliberal model for doing anything is mm. a you have an innate merit mm. that you will be able to overcome all obstacles put in your path, mm. even if those obstacles if are money, and secondly that if you put something if you put one of those people with merit in a boiler room, 
they and really intensely subject them to doing an activity, they will only become better. Mm. It's like um, the tech industry. Like mm. that's what they think. You put a load of people in a small room and they'll produce marvels. Mm. You know, um, and it's kind of got that way in the rest of like even in the non-elite universities, it's very much become kind of a, a commercialized consumer relationship. I mean. They started by uh, introducing, obviously, tuition fees hmm. um, in kind of, uh, I think it was about 2003 when they, or they started introducing it in 2001, hmm. just before I went to university. And then they upped them in 2010, I think it was. It was hmm. a, a, yeah, straight away. a commission introduced by New Labour, but acted on by the Tories. Um it was to replace like the old block grant system, yeah. which was, it, it gives you a different ethos. The, the old ethos used to be that university education was a public good. You're mm. creating people, even if, they're, even if their degree and their skills that they offer are not necessarily immediately monetizable or business friendly, that it was a, a net good that mm. people be educated in this way. Like what's Lily wanting to study? English literature. English literature, right. Perfect example. Humanities. Mm. Um, They've kind of shifted all that stuff away and put this increased emphasis for people from working class and like middle, even middle, like lower middle class backgrounds on vocational courses and science and engineering. Mm. It's a a deliberate kind of way to engineer greater inequality. I think like Richard Seymour's talked about it um, quite a lot. How the only way to explain the way that the university system works. Um, is to the only way that the university reforms make any sense is that they're designed to reproduce social inequality, right? Mm. So every exam season, employers kind of scream, business screams that like, oh, we can't distinguish between all of these A A star students, mm. um, and so you need to put in an additional barrier in order to really find who the most skilled person is, mm. who's which is why Lily has who's to do the best test. person, yeah, like it. Yeah, they, it drives me around the bed. Mm. It's um, <coughs> it's fine. They've done it to people who are traditionally considered. <clears throat> they've done it to people who are like traditionally considered uneducated. They've managed to stratify that mm. and shove them down to the bottom mm. through not increasing wages and cutting benefits and mm. things like that. But they had to do it to the educated as well because they had to have some way of selecting the best, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, and it's the only it, it's it feeds into it because it's also the only way that they can justify awarding those at the top strata huge eye-watering sums of money. Yeah. And like what you said about oh you get into the club, it's really hard until you get into the club. That's like the model of neoliberalism. Mm. It's the airport premium lounge mm. and the VIP bit at the club. Yeah. The club. Mm. You know, it's once you get in, you're once you get in, you're in. Um. You're socialised to think like that. You're kind of uh, taught what to do. You're taught how to act. And you're then part of it. Mm. You're part of it forever, you know? Um, yeah, so like they, they reformed universities um, to kind of produce this inequality. And I think, like, what really bummed me out about that was that at the time, I was arguing with my partner about it. And she's saying, oh, no, it's all right. You know, they're keeping, you know, the grants for poorer students to go to to university they're not and it's like they i think it's one of the times i've been the most angry and it indirectly led to the london riots in Mm. 2011 which was when they scrapped the ema Mm. 
you know they've hollowed out further education because it's not EMA for the tiny. it's not for the likes of of you. Yeah. You know that kind of education is not for the likes of you. Why I, would you want to do arts and humanities? When are you going to get a job? Um, they reproduce that kind of behaviour in people because if you're poor and going to university, you are obviously going to need some kind of recompense for that later in life. Yeah. And so they reproduce this idea that certain classes of people are only going to be interested in certain things. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's There's, gross. Um, one of the things that is, like I think it's York. Hmm. Um, if you have an A star in English literature and then you go to study English literature at York, yeah. you get a scholarship. Mm-hmm. This scholarship is a one-time thing of £1,000. Yeah. I told you how much the rooms cost. <laughs> it's like, that, that's, that's it's nothing. A, it's, like, it's not nothing, but it's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, me and Holly will be still taking out loans. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it, it just doesn't... It doesn't kind of they've they've tried to introduce this logic into into it and it's turned like lecturers aren't just lecturers anymore. They're kind of service providers. Mm. There's something called the um the teaching excellence framework. I'm sure there's loads of lecturers who can kind of talk about it better than I, I can. But basically the idea is that you're marketizing it because if you have this essentially consumer satisfaction survey mm. based on the student being the consumer mm. and the lecturer being a service provider you can then rate it and then that can put a number mm. on the quality of that university and you can charge a fee based on that mm. and that's not how it works like the ideal is that kind of oxford thing once you get in there obviously yeah. the ideal is the oxford thing which is your once you once the lecturer has provided that service to a student that student can then go off and yeah. do that thing yeah if it's in like English literature, they can write and comment and and take part in. Most likely, Lily can be like her current English literature teacher. Essentially, <laughs> who yes. went to Oxford, <laughs> and then came back to the college <laughs> and teaches English literature. Um, um, but it but it, it 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 contributes somewhat. And you know what? Like all of the great stories about like academics in the past, where well, their their mentor was so and so, but they mm. fell out. Mm. You know that kind of thing. Mm. None of that is built into this into this framework it's it becomes very very narrow mm. it's a it's a really bad because realistically you should be able to like rate your teacher yeah obviously because otherwise you could end up having like at Lily's last school where there was a couple of teachers who were just shocking mm. and they were just managing to get through being shocking <laughs> and you want bad teachers to be found and mm. noticed and all that kind of stuff but also you don't want to like the entire worth of an entire university to be based on the grumpiness of students who, let's face it, are going to be... I will, I would be very snippy about the quality of the teaching I'm getting if yeah. it was going to leave me with that much debt. <laughs> yeah. Of course you're going to be more like... Say if a, if a teacher is off sick. Mm. It will like It's part of the reason why um, it makes students angry at teachers when they go on strike. Yeah. Or when they get a lower mark, you've seen yeah. that come out as well. Oh yeah, the, the, you know that's not my fault. That's your fault for yeah. not teaching me well enough. Yeah, how did and I of course there must be there must be some instances of that. There must mm. be because Lily's Lily had it with GCSEs, mm. um, so it must be exists everywhere else as well. But it can't be as much as as much as it would need a whole framework around complaints. Yeah. And, also, and treating like, them like a product. It naturally... Because pro- turning them into products is a bad thing anyway, because people yeah. shouldn't really be treated like products. Yeah. 
even but if they're an asshole teacher. But also, when tra- when you like transpose it onto reality, hmm. it also turns out that the elite universities, the hmm. Oxbridge, Oxbridge kind of uh, hmm. institutions, or like the Russell Group, yeah, the Russell Group ones, um, they can avoid that altogether because hmm. the, even the name. Mm. like benefits you when mm. you go forward you went to Oxford therefore you know a load of people it's a, a certain like mark of quality mm. which avoids the kind of <clears throat> you know uh, market logic of you put something in and you get a commensurate thing out based on how much effort you put in Yeah, and it's like there are probably people at Oxford who coast mm. and then come out and become foreign secretary. <laughs> it's it's a perfect. I couldn't think of a better, he better got, example. He got two one, didn't he? I think he did. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was in classics as well. Yeah, he got two one in classics, and I remember him being quite sneery about David Cameron's first because it was in PPE. <laughs> to be fair, PPE is the devil's degree. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's again, that's a perfect example mm. of like. What they proposed when they made like the Brown report in 2010, and mm. uh, I think it was the Deering report in um, 1997, was the idea that they were opening up, mm. they were offering choice. You know all those neoliberal dictums. Yeah, they were opening it up, offering choice, and you'd have a, a free flow of the most the most deserving students going through, getting an education, and coming out the other side. But of mm. course, transposed onto British society as it exists mm. is very different. Oxford and Cambridge can skip all of those other steps the things that you have to do because the people who are coming out there are going in because they want to be in politics mm. for instance and they have families who are in politics and let's face it they had families who donated um lily had well we were hearing from people that there was no point in lily applying to kings at cambridge because that's yeah. the one where all the rich kids go to that's the one where like viscounts and children and baronets and that kind of, it was that kind of thing. Yeah. Was, but we were heavily encouraged not to. Mm. Not to even look around. Which we had to look around. That place looked shit. <laughs> it smelled... Oh, it's, like, I've worked in hospitals. It smelled like a hospital. The halls... Oh, like proper um, institutional. That, that, cheap, um, that cheap bleach. Yeah. Um, stuff, the rooms yeah. as well. It, had, it very much felt like a psychiatric unit. Oh. Brings back some great memories. <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> um. I was reading up on uh, on kind of uh, like neoliberalism and how it's affected universities and obviously there are plenty of people who've commented on the years but actually like one of the most interesting things I read was from um, Raymond Williams mm. in The Long Revolution. Um, he talks about how there are like th- there, are, there are three ways that further education in Britain has um, unveiled itself. Mm. Um, so you have the democratic educator industrial education and then elite like cultural institutions yeah what he calls uh, the the institutions of old humanism um and uh what one of the things he he argues against kind of class-based education in the way that it's kind of crystallized in in britain hmm. he said um we need to get rid of conscious or unconscious class thinking and begin thinking of educational organization in terms of keeping the learning process going for as long as possible in every life instead of the sorting and grading process natural to a class society hmm. we should regard human learning in a genuinely open way as the most valuable real resource we have and therefore as something which we should have to produce a special argument to limit rather than a special argument to extend which like accurately predicts like the way that our particular class-based society has has treated further education and and continues to to do so. It's 
it's a sorting mechanism. It's a, a winnow mm. for getting it's um <clears throat> for getting particular people out. Oh, it's, I think I've said it before on a pod. Um, oh, the actor who plays Loki. Oh, Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, the someone asked him how do you become an actor, and he mm. said, I think it's like Eton, Oxford, Rada. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it was like it was something like that, essentially. Um, and yeah, it's, that's the way that our system kind of goes. And if, I mean, you could still see those like elements when Labour were in power and when they were like, I think like university enrolment from like the early 90s up until the mid 2000s mm. went up from 5% of under uh, over 18s to 50%. It yeah. was, ex- though, especially when I was at school, it was yeah. kind of like, are you going to go to university? And you were genuinely expected that you would at least try. Mm. I mean, I went to people, I went to school with people who went to university and like I'd say probably about 20 to 30 percent who didn't hmm. um and I was like the second person in my family ever to go to university my uncle did but he was a he was an outlier hmm. certainly um and yeah you get you get like socialized in certain ways and like it's it's also why it's the last place that kind of left wing like left wing thought kind of was, was was left allowed. was allowed mm. you had a few kind of left in in state jobs nhs and things like that but universities were the last place that that kind of culture w- was was set in mm. and they've it seems to be that they've successfully managed to like drum that out by yeah. just introducing that logic straight at the source like my dream when i was doing i was doing a masters and my dream was eventually that i would want to become a lecturer mm. but then when I saw what the kind of temporary one-year contract mm. lecturers were going through, yeah, and the amount and talking to them and the amount they had to move around, which is you know moving's the fucking most horrible thing you can do, especially like in this housing market mm-hmm. with deposits and all that kind of thing, and seeing the amount of stuff they had to do with no no fixed position, no end point, no, they were just expected to move around the country. Mm going year to year with these different positions it's probably why there's like and I just didn't I just I, I shied away from it I, I I wanted to be a lecturer and I just had to give that up because I couldn't I wouldn't be able to do it I couldn't handle it my sanity couldn't handle it I remember it was um when we like when we were at school yeah. we had a couple of teachers who went to like Oxford and Cambridge yes yeah um but it was quite rare that we had that because mm-hmm. our school was a very old-fashioned kind of place. It was a weird place because it was like Kent was the last place that had selective Loads of grammar schools. Selective gra- well, it was the last place other than I think there's one other borough um, yeah. that has selective grammar schools. Mm. And the school we went to had like a 300-year tradition, even though it wasn't it wasn't fee-paying. It no. was a, a an in, I think it was classed then as an independent, mm. but like a state independent. Mm. So it got it was subject to the local authority, but uh, yeah. But yeah, it was quite rare that we had some like. It's quite an odd place. Some, yeah. yeah, some of those, some lecturers from, some teachers from those places. Yeah, um, Lily's college, like when I went to college, none. Yeah. Um, when Lily went um, with the college that Lily's in now, there's quite a few. Yeah. And I imagine it's probably becoming more of a thing of not bothering to even want to lecture at university. Yeah. Because even like I think she's got a history teacher that. He he works in two he works in two colleges to survive. Yeah, one uh, um, at Lily's College up in like Arnold's Grove way. Yeah, the other one in Cardiff. <laughs> so he ha- splits his time. I've heard fucking horror stories. That's like, just 
like people applying Mind. applying for job seekers mm. because like lecturers applying for job seekers because they I think it's like there was a stat a few years ago that uh, like lecturing and teaching in further education is the most casualized sector outside of catering. Jesus, and it's 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 crazy. It's, this is what it has led to, mm. and like you can see by our fucking frankly, Tom Gam was right. Debased and degraded uh, public culture. Mm. You can see by every newspaper, every like media outlet mm. in the fucking country is so degraded because they only have the same kind of people produced by these institutions. Mm. And like, it's one of the most hopeful things that kind of Corbyn suggested was um, re- reopening know. adult learning centres and mm. actually putting proper resources into it so people can retrain and, and learn through through their life. Yeah. Um, because it, it just it just seems bleak otherwise. It, it, I mean, did you see I, this bit off topic? But uh, MPs voted that Guido Fawkes mm. was their favourite political blog, was their favourite political thing to read. Mm. Yeah, I saw that. Like, that's disgusting. And that yeah. can only lead to bad things. Yes. No wonder they can't do Brexit, because they literally don't understand it, because they've never been taught. No. They have no context no. for the job that they have to do, because their their educational establishments were so fucking elite mm. that they haven't learned anything. No. You know? It's no. ridiculous. It's fucking horrible. Whew. Okay, so that was episode 60. Yep. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can follow us at WDTATW underscore podcast. Yep. You can follow me at BM Bergamo and follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing. And uh, we'll be back next week with the fall of the toy covenant. <laughs> <laughs> right. See ya. about the fighting game when Mr. Hoover said to cut my...